Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're shining a light on a different part of the world and the injustices and improvements needed. Our EdCast is a little different today, less of an interview and more of a story told by two courageous leaders in the Chilean student movement. Camila Vallejo and Noam Tittleman, presidents of their respective universities' federations of the movement, visited the Ed School this past year to share what they called, quote, the most segregated school system in the world. A quick note, Nome introduces the problem, provides a conclusion, while Camila, through a translator, explains in greater detail the movement, the protests, and the broken system. Well, first of all, uh, I would start by explaining how the current educational system was formed. And uh, basically, this was an educational system that was created during the Pinochet dictatorship. Uh, and that and was uh, profound, no, was perfectioned uh, during the uh, last 20 years. Uh, the truth is that uh, the system in higher education and s- uh, secondary school or primary school are uh, different in some aspects, but I believe in basis it has the same principles. Uh, uh, in higher education, to be very uh, succinct, uh, poor people go to the private sector and the rich people go to the public sector. Uh, and this is financed mostly through uh, subsidized uh, credits and a few scholarships, uh, but basically almost 70% of finance go through a subsidy to the demand. And uh, in primary and secondary school, and recently also in uh, kindergarten and so, uh, the system works with the same principle, but the other way around. The poor go to the public system and the rich go to the private. The special thing is that there is sort of an intermediate school which is a private from ownership but is financed through uh, subsidiaries in a much like uh, voucher system uh, and what has happened during the last 20 30 years is that the public school uh, students have migrated toward this mixed system uh, and especially the middle class has moved toward that system and uh, that is because this sort of schools, these mixed schools, uh, can select the students that uh, get into these schools, and also they can charge. And what has happened is that we have the most segregated educational system in the world, where uh, the probabilities of one student from one social economic level to ever meet a student from a different social economic level are probably non, uh, practically non-existent. And uh, so, so has been shown in m- most of uh, international testing. Uh, and what is even worse is that there is no correlation between uh, the amount of money that is paid in the schools with the quality of education that they receive. This means that uh, basically what parents are paying for is so that their children can study with other children from the same socioeconomical level. Uh, and I understand that if, uh, because I can imagine if I was a parent, I would like my uh, children to go to school with the best uh, standard test result. And there is direct correlation between the social capital and the uh, st- student result. It, this is so much as in that way that uh, this uh, private subsidized schools have the double correlation, double the n- level of correlation between the socioeconomic level 
the school and the um, and the students result in standardized tests. Th th this means that basically, if you take a school from this mixed system and you take another school from the public system, with a school from the this mixed system, you almost certainly can tell what social economic level is a student coming from and what is going to be their uh, their standardized test results. And what this also means is basically these schools are reproducing the social differences instead of being a space to uh, equalize opportunities or anything like that. And in the higher education, what has happened is that public schools have maintained the same uh, level of participation in, in this uh, market, if you want. And w the big explosion of uh, students uh, or of coverture uh, in higher education has come from the private sector, but from a very specific sort of private sector, because um, this is well, this is a moment where there are more students in university ever in the history of Chile. Almost eight of every ten students in Chilean universities are first-generation uh, students. But the m especially the poor go to a certain sort of university, which. Uh, I like to describe uh, as the Phoenix University model, which is uh, universities that promise a lot, um, universities that uh, focus on poorer students, and that even though the law prohibits it, uh, are for-profit organizations. And uh, the problem with this is also that the state has subsidized the credit here. So this is not only the student that is losing, it's the whole country that is losing in this investment. And this is so uh, complicated that one of each of each two students that get into university will not finish their career. Uh, from those who get to finish it, uh, one of every two won't work in what he studied. And uh, those who get to work are so in debt that uh, Actually, they're poorer than they were when they got into the university. Well, so that's definitely the problem that's been laid out for us. I'm curious now how the two of you got involved, especially Camila. Uh, tell us about, obviously, recognizing the problem and then deciding, hey, I'm going to stand up and do something about it. The student movement didn't you know, grow from scratch. It, had, uh, it, it came from uh, well before. Uh, and it came, and it was in, in 2011 that the student movement of the universities uh, were organized and, and got into it. But in, in secondary education, it had uh, already happened, all these movements and people protesting for these problems. And what she was mentioning is the, the fact that uh, in, in their diagnosis of the situation, they found that there is a, a critical constitutional problem here, uh, which is going, she's going to mention now. Uh, what she was mentioning is that uh, there is a problem of interpretation of what the, the, uh, the Constitution establishes. And, and she says that there has been uh, a bias in this interpretation by the government uh, regarding which part is going to be uh, privileged. And she says that what's been privileged is the question of the of private property uh, above the question of the right for education. And, and this, you know, it, this has been kind of the, the beginning and realizing that this, you know, the, cr the crux of the matter here. As a result of this idea of education and the question of, of, of uh, the market going above the, the right to education, there has been kind of a, a trend that uh, is pretty much 
uh, it's part of how the internal organization of, of, of internal democracy of the universities uh, occur. And it, it has to be and tends to be a very top-down system which has uh, makes the students uh, only worry about, uh, you know, finishing the, the standardized tests and, and not for learning for living or for a, or for a job. Uh, so this has created uh, kind of a, a very uh, a strict mechanism of working of, of the education. Given this situation, what they have been uh, advocating for is to address this kind of a cross-subsidy -subs -subs system whereby the, the, the private sector has become uh, you know, gaining more and more investment with very poor quality in education. So it couldn't be just uh, minor changes. It had to be a very structural uh, solution. And that's why they have uh, addressed two main problems. One is the protection and, and granting the right to education. And secondly, to grant that there is direct financing to the public uh, higher education institutions. Of course, this is not only a question of higher education. As, you, as they were uh, telling before, it, it happens across the, the entire educational system. And one example of this is how the primary education works. And uh, what the way uh, the, the uh, public schools, uh, K-12 public schools, are financed are done on the, uh, in terms of how many students attend. Attendance is the only criteria and not quality of the education. So if you take a, a local municipal school, what will happen, what will happen if, if you have uh, low attendance rate in that school, they will receive only that amount to, related to the attendance and not uh, a, a greater idea of covering for all the needs f to uh, education for these children. Apart from the question of granting the right to education, which is kind of the first uh, step, then the second we be have how to make restrictions to the way the uh, private enterprise and education are working and, 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 and impose some restrictions because you have their subventions that are paid to these schools which are private and, uh, and, and, and this creates kind of a, a, a not loyal competition between the public schools and the private schools. And uh, so one uh, proposal is, is to have all these uh, organizations to be non-for-profit, because uh, today the trend is that many of these organizations, this public, these private schools are for-profit. So there has to be a, a, dr a dramatic change here. Uh, because they, apart from having the subsidy from the state, they also can charge additional, uh, they can make additional charges depending on, uh, on, on uh, given circumstances. And, and this leads to a very great discrimination in terms of who gets the best quality of education in the system. So another question here is, is the question of access to education. And as was mentioned at the beginning, uh, you have the case, the case that in order to enter a, uh, a public university, you have to go through a selection mechanism as, as in other parts of the world. But in this case, the way these mechanisms are made, they privilege those 
uh, students that come from high-income families, and that has been the case that was described at the beginning of, of the talk. And uh, so they, they, it should be changed. Then there is a, also the question of who finances what, because in the case of public education, only 15 percent of the of the uh, of the budget is allocated by the state, whereas the rest is in in many cases paid by the families themselves. So this creates, of course, uh, another a, a kind of a double discrimination, both in terms of selecting and in terms of the quality of education that is provided. It is the total expense of the country, which is almost only 15 percent of it uh, come from the state. It's not in the public uh, sector only. And secondly, the selection system is a standardized test. There is nothing more but a standardized test. There is no interview or anything like that. And in that standardized test, there is a lot of evidence of discrimination uh, because the only thing that is measured there is um, contents, not abilities. And uh, another thing is that um, what we are saying is that it is important that the state uh, take care of his, its own institutions, and that's why it has to bring some uh, money for them, but also that there has to be regulation for the private sector, especially in education, because uh, it's a very complex uh, and almost uh, uncontrollable market where the asymmetry of information and the difficulty to uh, actually work in the free market way is uh, makes it impossible. And that is why uh, this is like the two s s most important arms here financing uh, the institution instead of always working with the demand, uh, especially for the public institution, and on the other hand, having better regulation for the private sector that exists so as to ensure, for example, quality and other stuff. Uh, and for more information, uh, there are a lot of websites, but um, let's see, a good website could be Reforma um, Educacional, R-E-F-O-R-M-A, E D U C A L dot C L, uh, and you can find a lot of information there. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.